This is an individual and personal journey, and the first foot along a new path of a new way of healing or a new journey is awareness. You need to know what the problem is. Most people are rather overwhelmed by their situation. They don't even know how to get out of it. They don't know what the problem is. And unfortunately, everything that they have available to them in mainstream is not helping them either, because most most mainstream uh, doctors are, are rushed off their feet and really will just do a quick prescription, you know, for an antidepressant or something or an anti-anxiety. And that doesn't get you anywhere. What you need is to know that there is a problem and you need to know that there is help for, for problems like this. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Reinvent Health podcast. Here we get to chat to some of the world's most interesting and influential people about everything to do with physical, mental and spiritual well-being. If you want to make healthy changes and live a better life, you are in the right place. Please don't forget to rate, leave a review and share with everyone who wants to live their best life. And now your host, Nikki Robertson. In today's episode, I chat with Dr. Melanie Salmon, doctor, psychotherapist, trauma specialist, and author of the book, There Has to Be Another Way. In 2008, Dr. Salmon created Quantum Energy Coaching, a revolutionary approach to healing from trauma and the health issues associated with the impact of trauma on the nervous system. Dr. Melody Salmon, welcome to the Reinvent Health podcast, and thank you for joining me today. I'd like to kick off with your story, and just to set the stage for our audience, um, please take us through your journey over the past couple of decades, which brought you to where you are today and the, the amazing work that you're doing. Okay, well, I think it's probably more than a couple of decades, to be honest with you, because I'm in my 70s already, but um, I was basically a, a regular GP. In the UK, I am South African, born and bred, and went to university there. But uh, in 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 my young days, I moved to the UK, and uh, became a GP here. I uh, loved it, of course. Um, and then I started feeling that there was something missing. I wasn't able to talk well to patients. So I decided to study psychotherapy as well while I was a GP. And so I've done probably 40 years of medicine and 25 to 30 years of gestalt psychotherapy. Those were my two side-by-side -side careers, uh, which I uh, conducted most happily until I would say about 20... 10, 2013, 2014, uh, no, sorry, 2008, where am I going to? And I'm thinking now back in South Africa. I was becoming very frustrated with the fact that even though I was a jolly good doctor and um, I really knew how to talk to people, people were not getting better. And the kind of problems that were not responding to the tools that I had were mostly trauma and addictions. Um, and this really bothered me, and I couldn't find out. I had to actually leave. I left medicine early. I took early retirement uh, to find another way, which became the title of my book, uh, To Find Another Way. I kept saying to my husband at the dinner table, there has to be another way. Medicine is not working. So, yeah, that that was how it all began, was my frustration, um, and and yes, uh, it, it it was quite a few years for me to find another way. 
I, I had to do a lot of research. I had to study uh, ne neurology again. I had to study a, a lot of what was new out there that's not in mainstream. This is a problem. You know, um, the book that, that got me going was Bruce Lipton's book, The Biology of Belief. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's what really kick-started me into understanding that we were working with the wrong part of the mind, and that's why healing wasn't happening. And so I really set out to find out how to work with the subconscious part of the mind. As Bruce Lipton explains in his book, and he's a medical doctor who also left the profession because he couldn't work in the mainstream anymore. Um, but what he explained, and I really grasped that, is that our conscious mind is a tiny computer. It's only running at about 4,000 bits per second whereas the subconscious mind is running at 4 billion bits per second. And I thought, my goodness, if I could tap the power of that, you yes. know, then we can start to heal trauma. And that, that was, was my beginning. That's, yeah, you know, you touched on so many things. And I think Bruce Lipton, for most of us who are in the health industry, that's a pivotal piece of changing the way we see or understand the way the body works. You know, until epigenetics became a thing we all thought we were subject to our genetics and that's simply not the case and that we have so much more power over our health destinies than we were led to believe and also realizing that medicine is still in its infancy until quite recently and you know a couple of one 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 generation ago um you know medicine was still fairly barbaric and only in the last a couple of decades have we progressed into something a lot more empathetic when it comes to treating people and understanding that there's a lot more to human beings than just the physiology. So it's a very exciting way of, of, of thinking about things. What I'd like to just dig into a little bit more is that turning point for you, that, that frustration. That's quite a brave step leaving medicine. I mean, because as you've studied for years, it's what you love, it's what you know, but to step out of something and go and, um, on an adventure to find something new because you know that the way you're working isn't working anymore is very brave. So what did it take for you to, to take that step? What was the, the aha moment? I think it, it, it was a two-part thing. I think you're right. I mean, one doesn't just uh, walk away from a profession of 40 years uh, because of an idea. It was more than that. It was a level of frustration that actually went on for, for several years. And I shared that frustration with my husband every night. I would come home and tell him about how much time and effort I was putting into these patients. I was working at that time in, in an area in the UK that was a very socially deprived. So the majority of people were people who had been to war in Iran and Iraq. So they were war veterans with PTSD and so on. So my patients were all very traumatized. And they were the majority that I was seeing. And I was getting so frustrated to try and understand and help them more that I used to give up my uh, uh, lunchtime and often early afternoon when, when I was free. Instead of going home, I used to visit them in their caravans and camper vans because they were all very poor. And I would sit and get their stories 
I just used to sit to them and tell me, where did this start? How did you get to be so bad? And I kept tracing it back to trauma. And then I'd come back to the practice and try and talk to my partners and say, these people are traumatised. Do you know anything we can do about trauma? And they'd go, too busy, sorry, can't talk to you. And so I had no interest around me, no support, and I had no access for helping trauma. And I just one day got so frustrated that um, I spoke to my husband and I said to him, you know, I think I need to leave medicine. I don't think I will find the answer within my own field, certainly not in general practice where I was working. And I and and he supported me. He said to me, don't worry about giving up your <laughs> huge income. I'm I'm happy to live in a cardboard box under a flyover, wow. he said to me. And his willingness <clears throat> to support me is what allowed me to then go and follow uh, um, uh, what I had to follow. I had to follow the lead of how the hell do you treat trauma because it's certainly not being done there. Yes, yes. And so, you know, you again, you've brought up so many points here. So, yes, we all realise that people have been to war and, I mean, it's been going on the best part of the last 20 years and we all know that anybody who's in the service is going to be subject to some kind of trauma, but we don't realize that people that we see at our workplaces, um, people that, who teach our children, family members are also traumatized, that there's so much what we've come to know as trauma. You don't have to be a soldier to experience trauma. And it was something that was never spoken about, perhaps because it was never thought about. You know, there's always a, a different label, a different diagnosis. And as we are learning what trauma is and how it affects the body, we're realizing that more and more people are traumatized uh, to a, a greater or lesser degree, and people respond to traumatic events differently. Um, they express that trauma differently. Some people deal with it well, some people don't. Um, some people deal with it differently and you don't realize they're traumatized. So for the sake of our audience, the people listening, can we get into what trauma is? and who it affects and how it affects us. So the first thing to say is that you're absolutely right. Very little is known about it in the mainstream arena. Um, very few doctors actually know much about trauma. I, I was quite shocked by that. And everything that I learned, I had to learn outside of mainstream. Yeah. I think things might have changed. I mean, I've been out for 14 years now, um, and, and I think things are changing. I think this is turning around, and a lot more doctors are attending conferences where they're learning about it. So so, so what is trauma? Well, well trauma is... Um, Basically, you can't talk about trauma without actually talking about the, the autonomic nervous system. Trauma is an incident that is severe enough to have an impact on your nervous system in some sort of lasting way. You see, our autonomic nervous system is designed to go into fight and flight. If we have something, you know, in the bush, we're facing a lion, we'll run away. That's our fight and flight mechanism. It gets switched on. And if it just gets switched on for one event and it's only short term, it recovers itself and it goes back to a state of good relaxation and health again. But if we have repeated events, if we're not facing the lion in the jungle, but the lion at the office day and and day out, what happens is that our nervous system then remains switched on and it can't get back to its baseline of a relaxed state on its own. It really struggles to get back 
it, 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 it's the only thing in, in the body uh, that struggles to recover spontaneously. And so I got very involved in something called trauma release exercises, which is designed to help relax the nervous system. I, in fact, became the trainer for South Africa, the national TRE trainer for 10 years. That's what I did when I went back there. So I, I traveled all over South Africa teaching people and training people to be trainers as well before I stopped. And I thought we found the answer to trauma. We just shake it off. And, of course, in South Africa, there's a lot of trauma and there are a lot of poor people who uh, could do this in large groups. So I used to do it in schools and in universities. I went all over the country um, helping people shake off that nervous system trauma. And it was amazing. People felt fantastic. The only problem with it and the reason why I haven't continued with it is it doesn't last unless you keep doing the exercises three times a week for the rest of your life. When you stop doing them, the nervous system goes back to its its uh, dysregulated, uh, switched-on state of tension. That's the problem. I thought that's not good enough. I've got to find a way for permanent cure of, of the nervous system. So basically that's what trauma is. It's a dysregulated autonomic nervous system stuck in a state of chronic anxiety or tension, or if it's more severe, you reach a point of cut our emotional shutdown. It's called freeze. Being frozen means being disconnected from feelings. So those are the positions of trauma. Okay. So how do we recognize trauma in ourselves? I can say from my personal experience, you know, my whole life I could sleep. I could just close my eyes and go to sleep. And then, yeah, as life continues and we have experiences and we have problems or whatever, uh, the first thing for me to to go is, is is being able to switch off and go to sleep at night. And for me, that's a big, it's a big red flag that the fight flight isn't turning off. That there's a hypervigilance somewhere, and in my mind, logically, that means well, there's some kind of unresolved trauma or experience that is re- becoming a nervous system issue because you know being able to be in tune with our circadian rhythms and switch off is very much part of our, 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 our nervous system reflexes. So how do we recognize, you know, we, we go through life, especially, I can't say especially, but if I can only reference for myself, like you said, living in South Africa, it's a dangerous place. It's one of the most dangerous places in the world to live. And we've normalized a lot of this stuff, the robberies and the hijackings and having to be super aware and have burglar alarms. I don't know, all over the world, people live in a semi-hypervigilant state unless you're living, I suppose, in, in Scandinavia, where you're pretty safe compared to living anywhere else in the world. But we are almost, and especially we'll get into COVID uh, just now, but how do we recognize an uptick in hypervigilance in ourselves and our physiology? How do we recognize that so we can do something about it? So, uh, I mean, that's a really good question. And uh, now that I've been working with trauma for 14 years, first with the exercises and and now with my own uh, uh, work where we're, we're changing and healing the trauma at the subconscious level, um, I, I see about three clients a day. This is besides the training that I do. And what I'm seeing, this is a shock that I'm having. At at first I thought, well, it's only certain people like people living in South Africa. That's where I was. And, yes, everyone's traumatized by this. It's very obvious 
what sure. trauma is in those yeah. situations. But when you come to a sophisticated country like England and you talked about Scandinavia, I've got a lot of Scandinavian clients right now. Everybody who is traumatised will show that in a different way. On the, on the first level, the physical level, trauma manifests itself through ill health. Okay, that is actually one of the end results of trauma. Then on the emotional level, it manifests itself as too much emotion like anxiety or too much anger, uncontrolled. So either too much emotion or too little where you so cut off, you have no feeling at all. So it has an emotional component. And then it's got a mental component as well. Most people who are traumatized don't function optimally. They lose their focus. They have problems mentally. And then spiritually would, would have a component too. So trauma is, is presents itself in a very widespread way. And what we've been doing incorrectly in medicine is we've been making all these diagnoses and calling them something else and putting people on tablets and, and so on for their for their their problems. Whereas actually if we'd got to the root cause of it a bit earlier and treated the trauma, the problem would heal itself. And that's what I'm finding. Mm -hmm. When I clear the trauma, the person's diabetes, for example, will their their blood sugar returns to normal, their high blood pressure returns to normal, their heart uh, irregularity returns to normal. So everything is actually I would say that many, many, many of our physical conditions that people go to the doctors for were ultimately from some trauma way back. And because it's a long time ago, people don't connect. Even doctors don't connect. Yes. You see? Yes. So, And that is the, the latency. It's that, that delay between the event where we are still in hypervigilance and the immune system is still on functioning, maybe over-functioning, um, and, you know, from an NLP point of view, we always, for myself, and I call it the trauma timeline, is when I'm sitting with a new client and they come to me with whatever they come to me with, with the IBS, and I always say to them, what happened three years ago? What happened 10 years ago? And they look at me like, what's that got to do with my IBS? And this is, this is actually it. And there's always an event, a three-year period and a 10-year period, uh, where they didn't present with any physical issues or very little, not enough to have to go to their doctor or something that wasn't didn't become what they think is incurable. Um, so before we start talking about food or treatment is what happened? And you can see this, this, these memories start rising and bubbling to the surface. And this is, this is the interesting But And I started off asking that question purely out of interest because it was uncanny. Um, and it was, it's nine out of 10 people have an event that they can pinpoint um, that comes up for them. And how do we, how, but how do we recognize this in children? I mean, we're seeing trauma in children as young as five years old. We're seeing ridiculous levels of what has been labeled as ADD or ADHD. And I still say it's a label because I don't think often enough it's it's really what's going on. So, you know, are children being traumatized from the birth process? Are they being experiencing trauma through their parents? Are they are, you know, this is in a, in a first world environment, it's quite horrific that we are seeing um, illness and 
behavioral uh, issues. It's very difficult to label it with kids. What is your experience with kids? Well, I, I agree with you. There's a lot more trauma that we're seeing in children now than ever before. It's it's shocking. And, you know, as you said, you'll come to the COVID in a moment. I mean, that's put children back, set them back developmentally in, in the most alarming way. So forget that now, even up to two years ago, children are, are more traumatised now than I've ever seen on the planet. And this is because their parents are traumatised. And basically children need uh, a, a loving, connecting parent, at least one parent, it doesn't have to be two, but they need one parent who's there for them in a good enough way, meeting their needs, their physical, emotional and mental needs in a contactful moment-to-moment basis. And if the child does not have that, that's the prime need from zero to about five. If the child's not getting that in a good enough way, they will be traumatised. Their nervous system goes out of whack. And this ADD and ADHD, by the way, is just on the bell curve of the nervous system that's out of uh, attention uh, hyperactivity disorder is fight and flight and attention deficit disorder is freeze. So we, there's a bell curve of the autonomic nervous system in trauma. These are just kids in trauma. That's all. One's a bit more traumatised than the other. The ones who got deficit, the ones who are cut off, cut off their emotions, they're frozen. And, you know, what you're saying about the parenting, we're not the, uh, my personal belief is that the problem with society today is that we don't live in communities anymore, meaningful communities. Yeah. Um, I personally believe that is the root of many people's trauma because we are tribal. We need to have somebody older and wiser who we can get advice from. And what's happened in the last couple of years, it's become all online. It's all Dr. Google. It's all social media. It's all this... Um, it's not the way the brain is meant to function. We're supposed to function in social groups and the brain responds to social connection. And what you said about children and having at least one parent where they feel safe, that they can speak their minds and ex- express their, their feelings in a safe place where they're not going to receive judgment or be berated for it is so important, but they're not seeing their parents receive that support either. So we, we're modeling the wrong message for our children, I really believe, because technology has taken us to a place where we're not, we're not ready for this. And I don't believe the human brain will, in the next 2,000 years, will be ready for this level of disconnect that we found ourselves in in the last, two say, two decades. And I think that's one of the big, big causes. What are your thoughts? I I absolutely agree with you um to, we, we we have much higher levels of trauma and the trauma is on a very personal basis it's between parent and child the, the parents are just not there first of all they traumatize themselves generally meaning they're yeah. very highly strung most of them are anxious they're rushing around to make ends meet and okay. you know or, or dealing with one crisis or another and when a parent is in that state they do not have the mm. the balanced nervous system themselves in mm. order to meet the child's needs in a way that's going to be healthy for the child. So the parent's nervous system is switching on the child's nervous system from a very young age. And the the biggest trauma is this one of abandonment or in in the way the way I teach it is it's called proximal abandonment. That means yeah. mum's there but she's not there emotionally. 
So what we're seeing now is an epidemic of proximal abandonment. These children have got, not got this close <clears throat> connection where, where their soul is being fed. Do you see what I'm saying? Mom is maybe feeding them and putting them to bed, but she's too busy or she's too stressed or, or traumatised herself. So we've got an epidemic of proximal abandonment. And when a child reaches school age, when they've had this experience from the early years, um, they will start getting addicted very early. So they get addicted to, to the, you know, computers and the phones because addiction is a response to abandonment. Yeah. So, you know, anybody listening with, with children, whether they be teenagers or young children, and they go, well, yeah, my child's been diagnosed with ADD. Yes, I'm I'm stressed out of my mind and I don't keep it together all the time. Um, nobody's expected to be perfect, but how do we start, how do we start helping ourselves so that we can start helping our families and our communities? I don't think that there's any general thing that we can um we can give out there. I think this is, this is an individual and personal journey. And the first foot along the new path of a new way of healing or a new journey is awareness. You need to know what the problem is. Most people are rather overwhelmed by their situation. They don't even know how to get out of it. They don't know what the problem is. And unfortunately, everything that they have available to them in mainstream is not helping them either because most most mainstream uh, doctors are, are rushed off their feet and really will just do a quick prescription, you know, for an antidepressant or something or an anti-anxiety. And that doesn't get you anywhere. What you need is to know that there is a problem and you need to know that there is help for for problems like this. I think it's also important to realize that you having when you're having a trauma response, whatever that happens to be, it's a normal response to an abnormal situation. It's not that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. This is the way the brain is wired. Yeah. And over time, if we don't realize that, it becomes a physiological illness. And yes, this is the manifestation of disease. It's really important to realize also that we're all in the same boat. There's without exception, especially... Um, over what's happened in the past two years is that we've almost all of us been subject to a trauma on so many levels, whether it be uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen next, our social isolation, which I think is the biggest trauma of all, not just not knowing, not having a sense of autonomy of our lives. And when you look at people who deal with trauma better, I'm not going to say completely because I don't think anyone does, but better than the next person. It's because somewhere along the timeline, they felt like they had a sense of control on somebody. They had a choice. They could turn it around for themselves. And I think that's really important to be able to know that whether you be a child or an adult, that somewhere along the line, some, there is some choice for you. And what was happening over the last two years is our choices were taken away. And if you didn't think you were traumatized before, you pretty much are now. We all are. None of us escaped this. So what, just as an overview, what, what are your observations and thoughts? It must have been, you know, given the field you work in and the book you've written, um, it must have been a fascinating, fascinating um almost social experiment to watch from where you stand as a, as a You mean the last two years with the lockdowns? Yes. Look, it's more than yeah. fascinating. I was yeah. uh, <laughs> outraged, enraged, frustrated, 
you know, none of it made sense to me whatsoever yeah. from the very beginning. You know, as a medical doctor, I, I knew that it was mm. way out, out of line, that this wasn't, should, shouldn't be happening. And it was interesting that I gave a lecture just a few months before yeah. the January of 2020, a lecture on stress. And what that what I shared in that lecture is the five or four most common things that lead to stress, uncertainty, unpredictability, lack of control, and all of those things came with this situation. They're the top four problems that stress human beings. So I was watching everyday ordinary people all around me. I could see them when I went to the shops or the garage becoming deeply stressed, deeply withdrawn inside yeah. themselves, deeply afraid. Yeah. And I just felt it um, was insanity. I, I felt the, the compassion that I felt for people going through this was immeasurable. The fallout, I think, is going to be felt for, for decades to come. So, And that's not just economic fallout. It is what it's done to our, our, our mental state and our, you know, how we how we deal with life going forward it's it's incredibly damaging so quantum energy healing let's delve into what you've discovered and or your particular um take on dealing with trauma that's different to what else is out there and let's talk about the quantum side first because you know that that is a whole that invites us to explore why quantum. You know, are we are we working on a, at a completely different energetic? We're level, certainly working example? energetically, and it, it, you know what what people don't know is that we our bodies are. Um, they, they can represent them actually visually, but our bodies are are quantum uh, holograms. You know, we work we work on a quantum level. We just. We're just not aware of that. And the basis that I work on, because I'm working with energy and I'm using the subconscious mind where the power resides to change the wiring in the brain, uh, what happens is that the entire quantum field of the person changes. By the end of the session already, they say, I'm feeling completely different because working at the subconscious level of mind on whatever your problem is, it's mostly trauma, but whatever it is, it creates a, a very radical and quick shift. Um, so so it's, it's not a long-term therapy, it's very short-term. So quantum just refers to the fact that we are quantum holographic human beings uh, and, and come on many levels, mm -hmm. all the way down to the microscopic. And so the process that, I, that I'm engaged in changes everything in the body all the way through on all, all levels not just on the mental level. Okay, so I was I was watching um, a couple of your YouTube videos and you go into quite a lot of detail about the process and how it works. Uh, so, yeah, it seems to start with an unpacking session where a person sits with you and talks with you and has an opportunity to feel heard and to just get it out on a non-judgmental field where I believe a lot of the healing takes place is it's it comes out of the body into a place where it can be almost not neutralized but um, engaged with and verified and given the importance that an experience needs because 
what I find with many, not, not psychotherapists, but many doctors, and as you say, many doctors are too busy. They don't have time um, to sit and engage with somebody for even 30 minutes is people don't feel like they are taken seriously, are being heard. Um, we, people feel like they're putting an interpretation of their events as being put on top of the reality of what they went through. And simply a safe space to, to just get it out is is really, really key. And you don't even see this in psychotherapy much because I'm not much, I can't really generalize, but you don't always see it as effectively as it should be. Um, to not put our own, as a practitioner, our own spin on things onto a person, to let them have the richness of the experience without judgment. So if you can, just give us a brief overview of how your process is so magical. What is the um, the place where this energy shift right. can take place? So remember I was also a Gestalt psychotherapist and the reason why I trained in Gestalt yes. it appealed more to me than the other forms of psychotherapy uh, because it's called the healing relationship. It's about establishing a relationship of equality and trust in which you simply hear, you see, you understand. That's what you do. You offer that space, as you say, to unpack. So my QEC begins with that. The first half of the session is just me listening to you telling me what's up and what's not working for you. Now, some sessions, that's all I do. But very often what I find it, uh, at the end of, of unpacking uh, the current situation, I find that there are one or two things that the person is stuck with that no matter how much they've looked at it and thought about it this way and been supported that way, yeah. it's not changing. Those are the things that yeah. I've come to realise have been hardwired and they're all related to trauma. Trauma seems to hardwire things in the brain. What I mean by hardwire is you can't change it with talk therapy. You, no matter how much you will it away or you wish it away or you talk it away, it doesn't change. It's hardwired, okay? The same as everything we learned under the age of seven was, was hardwired, all of it. We're meant to hardwire language. Otherwise, we'd have to keep learning how to speak. We'd have to keep learning how to ride a bicycle. It gets hardwired. Unfortunately, trauma is in the same area of the brain where we learn to ride a bicycle. It never, we never unlearn it. Do you see? It gets hardwired in that small area. So what I d developed was a way to work with the subconscious mind that could change the wiring so that you could change it. So if you have a, a memory of trauma from, say, your childhood abuse or something at age five, we rewire that, that situation by forgiving the, uh, the persecutor, forgiving myself for being involved in that, releasing the emotions related to it, restoring my trust in myself to 100%, restoring my safety in myself to 100%, and then finally creating a new sentence about who I am without that trauma. And that's what I... I whole trauma formula uh, that over the years I've worked out to the best the best way to do a trauma formula would involve those those particular aspects and once that's been installed at the subconscious level it wipes the, the, the brain clean it's gone the trauma is gone you remember it but you're not ever triggered again yeah so you can almost dissociate from it and see it almost from a removed space by the sounds yes, of, of what you space. You still know you had it, but the difference is you're not triggered into it. What I mean by triggering 
Triggering is always a clue that you've got unhealed trauma. Trigger means I'm walking down the street where I lived and I see that man over there who was the one who abused me or I see somebody who looks like him. I'm back in the feeling of trauma again. That's trigger. Right. That's trigger. It's, it, it's, it's getting an emotional response by something that reminds me. Okay. And if yes. that's still happening, yes. that trauma is still alive. It's alive mm-hmm. and wanted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the proof that it's healed is that there's no more triggering after that. Mm. So when you say that, it just it brings up for me how many people get triggered the minute they work, walk into their office and yeah, is their workspace triggering them? And people live with this day in and day out, year after year, and wonder why they get sick. Kids who go to school and get triggered by just having to go to school is, yeah, if, when, if, if a child is gets into a, into a mental, physical state just by the thought of Monday morning, you've got to ask why. You've got to start unpacking that kind of response in a safe place because it's not going to change by itself. This isn't this isn't normal. And again, what worries me is we've kind of normalized so many of these trigger reactions. Um, and there's our clue. Uh, if something brings up an emotional, negative emotional response so heavily, that's our first clue to, to take action. But we're not taught how to take action. We're not taught to ask these questions. So I'm hoping through talking with people like yourself is that those listening can start asking questions and start saying, well, I'm not comfortable. It's okay not to be comfortable. Ask the question, find the help. It's so important for our mental and physical health going forwards. Um, so Melanie, I wanted to find out you, you, you do a 12 week practitioner training program and that's available for anybody. Is it available for anybody who's interested or do you need to have prior training? What are um, your criteria? No, you don't have any, there's no pre requirements. Uh, obviously, I would meet and greet the person and I usually advise that they have a few QEC sessions. You get a complimentary one uh, with a supervisor. People work in small groups of four with a personalized, dedicated supervisor all the way through. But uh, I usually advise that they do some QEC yeah. before starting because it, it just gives them the, the felt experience of, of what it's about. And then they're much better off on the training. But yes, it's, it's it's basically for just about anyone, although I find it very often attracts people who are already uh, qualified as therapists of one kind or another or doctors of one kind or another well, would usually on the course. And then you've brought out a book. And where, where well, can my book get hold of your can book? be bought through my website. Um, so I've just had a new website created and now it's possible to get the book through the website. So straight through there, it's not a problem. And my book's basically just my personal story, what happened to me and and why I left medicine and how I developed QEC. So it's just a personal story. Yes. Okay. But to really get into the nuts and bolts and if... if um, if not if, but there will certainly be many, many people listening who can who can say, well, yes, I need to I need to find out more. So um, in the show notes, uh, all of your contact details are available. Links to your books are available. All of your YouTube videos are linked to the show as well. So you are widely available to anybody who's needing the help or anybody who needs to chat about it some more and do some sessions. And I'm sure you do You do online sessions with people all over the world. I do online sessions all over the world. And I'm contactable through my um, uh, PA, Anima, 
Uh, and I think the address is connectedqecliving.com. That's our website too. So anybody who would want to have an appointment with me, uh, have a session with me, yes, simply write to Anima. And it's also not long term. You know, when I when I used to start psychotherapy, it would be year in and year out on a weekly basis. And this is on average if three months is a lot. You know, most of the people I see are under three months. Yeah, yeah, I really believe if something's going to work, it'll work quickly and you will feel a change very, very quickly. Otherwise, it's not the right therapy for you. But yeah, that's, that's, we have been sort of, uh, sort of acclimatized into believing you're going to be in therapy for life. And it's not the case, not the case. We've got to heal and get on with living. So, Dr. Melanie, thank you so much for your time today. I'm very excited to go and, and look some more into, into the, the, your quantum energy healing. And um, thank you so much for making a difference to humanity. You know, there's it's, it's such a big need, and um, for following your 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 passion and not being persuaded to just carry on doing what you were doing, it's really important to break away and to to recognize that um, if we can, we've got to help as many people as possible. Thank it's so you. valuable. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you once again for joining me for another episode of the Reinvent Health Podcast. As usual, all of my guests' details can be found in the show notes page on Apple Podcast, Anchor, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate on Apple and leave a review.